I want to talk today about love, about loving each other. And I, I, I mean, that can mean a thousand things, right? Loving each other. Even when I was trying to, when people would ask me earlier in this, this week uh, in the office, what are you preaching on? I, I was almost embarrassed when I'm like, I'm teaching on loving each other. Because you know? <laughs> it's so broad and it's so, it could mean a thousand different things, right? So just before we get very far, I, I just want to let you know what we're not talking about. Uh, because the loving each other thing within church, often, uh, it's, it's a social justice thing. That's what we're talking about. If we're talking about loving one another, it's a social justice thing. Uh, soup kitchens, homeless shelters, that kind of thing. That's not what we're talking about this morning. Uh, it's also not an evangelistically oriented message where we're talking about reaching out to people outside of the church and extending Christ's love. Also not what we're talking about. Both of those are obviously really important applications of love, uh, but... That's not what we're talking about today. What, what I want to talk about today and what the Lord's laid on my heart is to talk about loving within the church. What does it look like for us to love one another within the church? So that's where we're going to sort of camp and spend our time this morning. One of our greatest human desires is just to be loved as we are. Is that not true? Just to be loved as we are, to be accepted in spite of our imperfections, in spite of our sin, in spite of the fact that we offend people sometimes and hurt people sometimes, we really just, at the deepest core of us, want to be loved and accepted for who we are, flaws and all. And that is really, I mean, that, that's the love that Christ extended to us, right? That's why we're all sitting in this room, is because Jesus died for us and gave us unconditional love right? That's what Christ did for us. But the thing is, one of our greatest fears, consequently, because of course Satan wants to steal and kill and destroy, one of our greatest fears then is to be rejected or condemned for revealing the less sightly parts of our lives. So unfortunately, what we tend to do is, because of that fear, we tend to withdraw, we tend to distance ourselves from close, uh, intimate relationships with other believers, and rather hide. And when we do the hiding, then, of course, we're still, we're still people that want to follow God. We're still moral people, so we still judge and condemn ourselves for not doing good enough. So we just beat ourselves up all the time for not being good enough. And then we also transfer that judgment onto other people that we, that we see around us within the church, other believers, and say, ah, well, that, that person's not doing They're supposed to, if you're a Christian, and so we get in this big judgment cycle as well, right? So we want to address that today. We want to look at that. And what I, where I want to start is just with a couple encouraging stories of where this is actually going really well within our church, where this love and acceptance thing is happening really well. And I want to just share you a couple stories out of some of our cells. So here you go. This is the first one. This is from one of our men's cell leaders. He wrote me this. Within our cell, we have a few examples of how the guys opened up and talked and shared about their struggles with sexual immorality. Now, that's fairly intimate. Huh? Uh, we prayed together, and we always try to see how the ones who are struggling are doing. I guess, in other words, being accountable to each other and loving and understanding each other. We feel strongly that if we work together, we can get through anything with God's help. One of our women's cell leaders wrote this. During the winter one week, cell was over, and I was packing up to leave, and all of a sudden, the woman that was hosting cell started crying, so 
another woman and I just stopped packing up our kids and made our way back together with everybody. Uh, we got our kids back out of their winter stuff, set down our dirty dishes, and then she just poured her heart out to us, and we prayed for her. What's funny is that she feels like a failure in a bunch of ways when it comes to parenting, but the other woman and I think she's amazing. The cool thing is that within an hour of that prayer time, she had seen immediate changes in her son. It's a good thing we didn't rush out the door or we would have missed it. I, just, I love those stories because they're, they're just regular life, people loving people within the body of Christ. No judgment, just acceptance, love, prayer, support, care, concern, just love. So here's what I want to say to you as we get started. If you are struggling with lust or with gossip or any other sin or temptation, or if you're addicted to anything from drugs to alcohol to food to fitness to media, this message can help you, okay? If you deal with loneliness or anxiety or depression or any other emotional or mental issue in any kind of way, even if you just have, you struggle setting priority to spend time with God and you just feel guilty about it all the time, if you've got any kind of strained relationship with a family member or a friend or a parent, anyone else, then this can help you, okay? In short, if you've ever just felt alone or like a failure in any aspect of your life, then today is for you. All right, so let's pray and let's get started. Lord God, I just thank you so much for the unconditional love that you poured out to us. I thank you that we have an incredible honor to be able to receive that, to be able to be loved by the God of the universe, our very creator. So Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would impact each of our hearts, including my own, as I go through, as I preach this this morning, would you impact each of our hearts where we need to hear from you, where you need to impress a truth upon us. I pray that that specific truth would really imprint itself on our hearts, that we would seek to be obedient to it as we walk out our lives forward from here, and that we would be an obedient, loving group of children here at Southland. Pray it in your name. Amen. I worry that we as Western believers have bought into a bit of a cultural lie. And, and I don't think that we, like, we would never say it, but I, I see it in different people that I meet with. Uh, I see it within my own life. And it's this lie that Jesus is enough. Did I, have I startled you yet? <laughs> what? They let him preach? No wonder it was on the August long weekend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, let me keep going here. It's not just that Jesus is enough. It's Jesus is enough. People aren't really necessary. Okay, you see what I'm saying? People aren't really necessary. You know, like people within the Christian thing, it's kind of it's like gravy on your fries. You know, like if you like gravy, go for gravy. If you don't like gravy, then, you know, just forgo the gravy. It's not a problem. And if, by chance, someone happens to serve gravy on your fries, then just sort of, you know, make the best of it and try to enjoy it. <laughs> you know? I, I feel like that's a bit of how we are sometimes with the people thing. Because our culture tells us that if we're truly successful, then we're going to do it by ourselves, right? Independence. We're going to be able to do this by ourselves. But I, and it's a bit of a mystery to me why we keep believing this, because no one has ever done that. 
There's never been a successful person that got there completely on their own, right? That doesn't actually happen, but yet it's what the culture keeps telling us, and so we keep believing it, but there's always someone to thank at the award show, right? Like, I don't know, they never seem to get there by themselves. So, but it's not what scripture says. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we're actually created dependent. You look at the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden actually tells us something very profound, It tells us that humankind was made in its perfect, unscathed by sin state as dependent. Look at the state of Adam in the garden. He's 100% dependent on resources outside of himself to complete himself. First of all, he is completely dependent on God, completely dependent on God. God could choose to decide to yank all the oxygen every couple hours. which is why I'm not God, because to me that would be a little bit funny. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he's completely dependent on God for oxygen. He's completely dependent on God for the right kinds of food, right? He can go out and pick whatever he wants and eat whatever he wants. He's completely dependent on God for the right climate, right? He's not wearing a lot, <laughs> right? He's dependent on God for the right climate. It's why Eden is clearly nowhere in this local vicinity. Uh, so he's, he's entirely dependent on God. And then yet this, even in the Garden of Eden, after crafting this beautiful creation where God keeps saying, it was good, it was good, it was good. Then he looks at the man that he just made and he says, ah, it's, it's not good. This is not good. Not that he was saying that his creation of Adam wasn't good, but he was saying that Adam's solo state was not good right? Let's see what it says. This is Genesis 2.18. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So when scripture says that Eve was created as a helper for Adam, he wasn't, she wasn't just being described as someone who was going to darn his socks, okay? (laughs) This, the word helper in the original language means one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking in the helped. Lacking in the help. What? This, this is Adam. He's in a perfect state. This is as good as humanity ever was. Right there. Until Jesus came, of course. But Jesus had a bit of an advantage being God. Uh, but Adam, this was perfect humanity. And yet, there was something lacked? Huh. Isn't that interesting? She completed him in a way that he was unable to complete himself. So let me give you an example. Uh, within my life, I am by nature a deceptive liar. Confession, true story. I know. This is, again, why I'm preaching on the August Long Weekend. Uh, <laughs> but that's, uh, that's how I grew up. I grew up really hiding, and so I would, my knee-jerk response was if there was pressure and there was a truthful answer that I didn't want to give, I would lie because it would still make me look good and people would think well of me. Uh, So when I got married, I married a woman who was truthful and direct, which is God's mercy in my life. Because what happened is that I needed Mary's truthfulness and her directness to cut through my deceit. I needed that within myself. I couldn't provide for myself what she was able to provide for me. 
And I'd been a Christian for many years by the time we got married. So if just me and Jesus could do it, if just me and Jesus were going to pull it off, we would have pulled it off by then. But I actually needed to rely on resources from outside of myself in order to resource myself for what I, for what I needed. I wasn't able to have enough self-discipline, and this is what we tell ourselves, right? I just need more self-discipline. I just need more self-discipline. Need more self-discipline. Bah! There are some things in self-discipline that you actually cannot achieve, that I cannot achieve, and we need other discipline. And that's what I needed. I needed discipline from another, from someone outside of myself. I needed strength to be provided by someone that was not me, that could actually fill in the holes where I was deficient, where I lacked. Jesus' plan to work that one out of me relied on human relationships outside of me. And Adam needed relationship with God and also someone else before God would say, ah, yes, very good. But when it was just Adam and God, God actually said to that, not good. And it sounds kind of blasphemous, right? But it's true. It's what we see when we look at the scripture. It is not good that man should be alone. When he said that, God was with him in the garden. And so he says, I'll make a helper fit for him. Just God and Adam, not good. God himself says we need other people. So just me and Jesus, just you and Jesus, not good. You actually need more than that. Now, am I saying that a relationship with God is unnecessary? You just need to rely on other people to fill in the... No, 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 come on, don't be like that. Yeah, obviously, that's not what I'm saying. A relationship with God is central, it's core to any of the rest of it working. It's critical. But we need other people in order to supply, to get those resources that we lack. 1 Corinthians 12 confirms it. Our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. So, so what? What does it matter? I'll tell you in a second. There are some ramifications to that knowledge. If people actually matter, if relationships with people are a critical part of our growth and development as Christian people, if they're actually a part of Eden's design, if they're part of the perfection that God intended right from the beginning, before sin... If they're part of his perfect design, then what does that mean for us? Well, it means that we've got to stop believing and living like we just need to try harder in order to be better. No more avoiding people just because you feel like a failure or because their flaws irritate you. You actually need them and they need you. No more clamming up about your own sins or insecurities or struggles, thinking that you'll just do better next time. And then, then you can engage with people from a place of strength, right? But no, you will not succeed just you and Jesus. God says that that plan is not good. And 
I'll bet, I'll just hazard a guess that if you don't have strong, close relationships with people, that probably you're struggling a bit in your relationship with the Lord as well. I would hazard a guess. It's really important. So I'm not just talking about showing up to stuff, okay? I'm not talking about purely church attendance or even cell attendance. I'm not just talking about attendance because we Western Christians, we're really good at attending. There's no problem with attending. We can show up, we can sit, we can consume. What I'm talking about is actually engaging in significant relationship. So I'm talking about going to your cell and actually sharing with your, the, the other guys in your cell the porn relapse that you just had this last week. Or even sharing something like, I don't like playing with my children. I don't know what to do with them, that, that no one did that for me. That's a practical thing that you actually can receive prayer on. I have received prayer on that one, okay? I've gone and said, I, I, like, do you play with these things, these little people? Because that is foreign to me. I actually, I, I used to set a timer on the microwave. <laughs> this is terrible. I used to set a timer on the microwave for 30 minutes so that I would force myself to go and play with the children before I went and got more industrious. But we need help, right? Maybe it means for you that you actually have a serious issue gossiping and you don't even really realize that you have a serious issue gossiping because everybody just does it but you actually go and the Lord starts to convict you on it and you go to your cell members and you say, I just, I talk about people that aren't here and I don't talk of them favorably. It's gossip and it's sin and it's wrong and I need help because I can't seem to stop on my own. I don't have the self-discipline. I need some other discipline. Would you help me? Would you call me on this? So people are God's plan A for our life. So we need to stop hoping that he's just gonna zap us and remove all our sins and struggles during our devotions. All right, we need to stop hoping that if we're just more faithful, he'll zap all our addictions away. He won't. We need to stop hoping that if we, just, if we can just get to the set-free retreat, that that's going to somehow set us free for the rest of our life. Because I'm telling you, it won't. What will happen is you'll go, and if you're not actually walking that own relationship, you're going to fall again, and you're going to get all disillusioned with God and say the set-free retreat didn't work. No, the set-free retreat didn't work. You didn't work. Because you malfunction, and you actually need other relationships to help you continue forward and grow. Look, Adam didn't even have a sin nature, and God said that he needed close, intimate, sustained human relationship. And that's what we need. Let's listen, listen to Sharice's story. One of the things I felt the Lord lead me to focus on in the month of prayer fasting this year was to, was to be 100% healed of insecurity. Seemed like a strange request because, well, I'm human. Various forms of insecurity seem to be an intrinsic part of the human experience. I didn't think it very reasonable to expect the Lord to remove all insecurity from my life, but it kept coming to mind, so I added it to my list. So January came, and I was almost immediately plunged into the deepest, most all-encompassing experience of insecurity I've ever had. During every interaction I had with people, my mind was filled with accusations of how annoying and unintelligent and obnoxious I was. All I wanted to do was curl up in a ball on my couch and hide from the world in order to spare everyone from the bother of having me in their lives. Thankfully, I was co-leading my cell and hosting it at my house. So I was forced to face my fears every week. 
I'm very blessed to be a part of a cell with women who are genuinely caring and supportive, so I felt safe to share my battles with insecurity every week and received lots of prayer and encouragement. Some of them got encouraging words, verses, pictures through listening prayer. Others would text me occasionally to see how I was doing. And I knew that on my really tough days, I only needed to send out a desperate text for prayer and they would rally for me. One particular rough, on one particularly rough day in May, when I honestly didn't know if I was going to make it through my day at work without bursting into tears, I sent out a mass text asking for prayer and I started feeling much better within half an hour. That night, I was lying in bed trying to fall asleep, but feeling absolutely overwhelmed with how gross I felt about myself. There was one insecurity in particular that was weighing on my mind. I felt overwhelmed and incapable of standing firm against the lies pressing in on me. Suddenly, I strongly felt the Lord's presence. I imagined that he was taking me in his arms, accepting me as I was. After a time, he spoke a truth to me that I already knew in my head, but it sank into my heart for the first time. In a moment, all the lies that had felt so heavy seemed silly and weak, easily ignored. I slept like a baby that night, and I realized the next morning that the Lord had answered my prayer from January. He had completely healed me of one area of insecurity. He had led me on a journey over the preceding five months that had prepared my heart to receive the truth about myself, and my cell was absolutely instrumental in that process. Being part of a community of women who didn't turn away from me in my weakness, but came around and supported me, kept me from retreating into a dark world of lies, and kept the door open so that Jesus could walk in with his truth when the time was right. I love that story. Isn't that what we want? Now, you'll notice in Sharice's story there, there's, there's three players, three key players that are involved. There's Sharice, there's God directly, and there's the ladies from within herself. You take any one of those out, and it doesn't work how it's supposed to. First of all, Sharice herself, she had to actually desire and seek. She had to want it. She had to hear the Lord constantly saying to her, yeah, add this one to your prayer list, add this one to your prayer list. And she had to add it to her prayer list. She had to fast and pray. She had to actually acknowledge that she did not have the resources within herself to make it go away. She didn't have the self-discipline to just not be insecure. She couldn't make it happen, and she had to be humble enough to identify that. She also had to be humble enough to share that with the women in her cell and say, I'm broken, and I need fixing. Would you pray for me? So she had a key piece. God himself had a key piece directly because only God himself is able to access that place deep within our heart where that lie was stored. Only he could actually get in there and replace that lie with the truth. Only he could do that. The Sharice couldn't do that. Cell members couldn't do that. It had to be God directly. But the cell members, look at, look at the key role that the cell members took in that. They had to actually come alongside. They had to create an atmosphere within that cell that was safe enough to share that, where she wouldn't share her weakness and either be mocked or... Mocked, I mean, mocked probably doesn't happen that much. Uh, but where she wasn't uh, coached or... What's the word I'm looking for? Counseled. Wasn't counseled out of it. Well, here's the five steps. You probably need to do this week. Come back next week. Still feeling as lousy as you do now, and then you can feel even worse. 
No, uh, they didn't do that. They had, they had an environment within that cell that was safe where she could share this. She wasn't counseled on how to be a better person. They supported her in her weakness and they prayed for her. It had to be the cell that was receiving the text from Sharice when she was feeling lousy and she couldn't do it and she was ready to break down and they would pray. They were the ones that sent encouraging texts. They were the ones that filled that piece in. Now I'm telling you, Sharice could not do that for herself and we believe that. That's very easy for us to all believe. But here's the thing, God himself directly chooses not to play that piece because he chooses to use human agents to deliver that. He chooses to use human agents to deliver that. He will not do that directly. He wants to use people to accomplish that because this is paradise's design. This is Eden's design. So let's stop oppressing and silencing ourselves with the devil's happy assistance into believing that all the spiritually successful people are better than us. Let's stop hiding our sins and our failures or we will remain in them. It's solely, it's solely the pride in the devil that keeps us silent. That's it. If you can come up with a better example than pride and the devil, then I'd love to hear it. But that is the only thing that keeps us from hiding. So let's stop withdrawing from each other. Christian people, our people don't withdraw. That's not actually how Christians behave. Because when we hide and when we, when we withdraw, we cannot fully experience that triangle of love and wholeness and freedom that God wants us to experience by his spirit directly and by his people as well. And when we do that, we consequently lack the experiential resources to then share Christ's non-judgmental, sacrificial love to other people that need it. But when we engage in close, deep relationships within the family of God, uh, when we engage in an open and humble, that's all it is, it's just humble, an honest level personally, we're finally free and able to truly receive love from God directly and through his people, and then, as we are filled, we can pour out that same accepting love that we've now experienced to our brothers and sisters in Christ as they so desperately need to receive it as well. Just like our creator has always done through countless generations, like our savior did in saving and shepherding us, he is a relational God and we must engage in relationships if we wish to fully experience him. So let's look at how the early church did that. All right, let's look at the church in Acts. They joined together with other believers in regular attendance at the apostles' teaching sessions and at the communion services and prayer meetings. So first of all, let's just identify who these people were. This, th these weren't you know, casual church attenders or fair-weather cell members that, that showed up every now and then. Th these were dedicated people. These are folks. I mean, they were at the prayer meetings. They were one in heart and spirit and purpose. They were relationally engaged with each other. And when you see that now, Consequently, look at their church. There was a deep sense of awe that was on them all, and the apostles did many miracles. And all the believers met together once a week on Sunday mornings for 90 minutes, and they all faced forward, you know, like at a concert or in a hostage situation. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what it says. They met together constantly and shared everything with each other, selling their possessions and dividing with those in need. 
They worshiped together regularly at the temple each day, met in small groups in homes for communion, and shared their meals with great joy and thankfulness, praising God. The whole city was favorable to them, and each day God added to them all who were being saved. Now, okay, there's a lot in that passage to call, but let's just rest on one piece. These folks were just in each other's lives, right? They, they worshiped together. They met in small groups together. They ate together. They prayed together. They just, they did life together. This wasn't, you know, incidental, additional community for them, all right? This wasn't some sort of ad hoc, obligatory religious instruction group that monitored moral behavior. That's not what this was. This was their family, This was their family. These people had a place where they felt like they belonged, where they felt loved, where they felt accepted, regardless of the sin that they messed up with that week, because I'm telling you, early Christians sinned too. But they felt accepted. They felt accepted with their sin. They felt accepted even when one of them would offend another one, they would forgive. Why would they forgive? Because the person who had been offended knew that the person who had done the offense was actually just like them just in a different area, right? This is actually how our people behave. This is Christian behavior for us to live and forgive like that. Perfection was not a requirement. So Christians create belonging by accepting each other and making room for weakness. This is what our people do. Many years ago, uh, before we had kids, Grace Hebert had invited us, uh, she was going on holidays, and she invited us to her place to house it. And uh, let me tell you, like at that stage in the game, we had been here, I don't know, maybe two years or something, year, and so we were renting this place near downtown Steinbach, and it was something special. Uh, (laughs) My wife loves baths, and so when she would run a bath, if it got over the overflow drain, you know, then the person in the suite beneath us would get a big dose of water on them if they were standing at their sink. Uh, Our backyard had what we called, well, it had artifacts. Uh, (laughs) And there was this one uh, thing, Mary and I called it the Parthenon, because uh, it was a couple of trees that had been cut down at about six feet of height and then carved into these Roman columns and painted white. Um, which then led into the garden. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was something. And then over, <laughs> over by the garden shed, there was this six-foot chain-link snake that had been welded together and kind of came up like this and then s- like looked at you right there. <laughs> it was great, honestly. The place, uh, we rented the place from one of the ladies in the church and a, a sweet lady, and we, I still love her, think highly of her. She just didn't know what she was getting into. Once we moved in, we found out all the things that were going on there. But so suffice it to say, when Grace offered that we could go and stay at her place for a couple of weeks while she was on holidays, we were pretty pumped, right? She had this beautiful home with an all wood interior. It was really homey and cozy. And uh, she had a jacuzzi tub, which was really all that was important. (laughs) So So we went and we stayed at her place for these couple of weeks, uh, and we had a little dog named Skittles. Um, And, yes, Skittles, 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 Skittles. Yeah, Skittles, okay? It's embarrassing, and it wasn't my choice. Uh, (laughs) But she was a little Cocker Spaniel Shih Tzu cross, and she was pure energy, and she chewed on things. 
<sighs> you can see where this is going. So we, so we stayed at Gracie's place. We were very thankful, loved our time there. But while we were there, Skittles chewed on some stuff. And when we found some of these things, we thought, well, it's probably not that big of a deal. Like, it's probably not even that noticeable. So we left and we didn't say anything. I know, judge me, it's all good. <laughs> I, I've long judged myself for this and we've all worked through it. But so we left, so it was deceptive, right? We left and we just kind of crossed our fingers and hoped that Gracie wouldn't notice. Well, she noticed, because when a dog chews on your stuff and you don't have a dog, it's kind of obvious. So, <laughs> so she called us up, to her credit, she called us up and she uh, asked us about the stuff and then we were like, well, yeah, we did notice. And she challenged us on that, which was good. This actually, she was true to scripture. Leviticus 19, 17 says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. She was biblical in the way that she handled us. She was gracious, uh, but she talked to us about it. And we felt awful, of course, because not only had our dumb dog chewed on this stuff, but then we hid it, right? It was terrible, deceptive, it was just bad. So, but we apologized, we replaced some stuff, and you know what? I never heard about it again. And if you know Gracie, you know that that's exactly the way that she is. If she forgives, it is done, never to be spoken of again. Not, like, not even a little joke about it here or there, you know, oh, remember that time? None of that. Completely dissolved, forgiven, gone. That's Christian. And now, not only that, not only that, but she has continued to be our longest standing and one of our dearest friends through the 13 years that we have lived here. She's walked through us through marriage challenges that we've faced. She's walked through us through our children's hospitalizations that they've had. She's been so close. She's been family to us to the point that when we had our baby last year, we actually named her Phoebe Grace. And that's why. Because... She is family to us. She's no biological relative. There's no thread that somehow the Hebrews and the Yoders all ended up in the same family tree. Uh, <laughs> you know, other than Adam. But, but family, this is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of belonging and acceptance that I'm talking about. So let's, let's continue on here. I, I want to look at another early church example uh, so this is now the Romans, okay? This is out of Romans 12. First of all, we'll start off, let love be genuine. And I just, I'm going to pause here for a moment and rabbit trail for a second here. Okay, let love be genuine. Here, here's something that I just want to challenge you with. Please don't try to just be nice to your brothers and sisters in Christ that you don't like. Okay, please, don't, don't just try to be nice. You're, you're not succeeding, Okay, you're, you're only appearing plastic and fake. It's not believable. It's not believable. If there's something in church that you don't like, then take it to the Lord in prayer. This is what Christian people do, okay? You take it to the Lord in prayer. You get his perspective on them, on the situation. Uh, you, you seek his heart for them. And you might just be surprised what he shows you because he actually wants harmony and love and unity within this thing. Right? So you get alone with the Lord, and once you take it to Jesus, then you can actually engage with the people that previously just irritated you or you just didn't like. You can engage with them with his heart. 
And you may be able to successfully avoid uh, dodging them with, eva- with evasive maneuvers on Sunday mornings, jumping over tables and chairs in the cafe on Sunday mornings. You might be able to avoid just surviving a conversation, constantly looking for the out. You may be able to actually do that if you gain Christ's heart there, okay? Let love be genuine. Let it be genuine. Let's continue. It's my rabbit trail. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, with brotherly affection. Again, this is family language that's getting used here again. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Okay, contribute to the needs of the saints. I, I want to share with you about a family in our church that does this far better than I do, all right? And it's the Funks next door. Uh, this is John and Ange Funk and their kids, uh, Daniel, Ashley, Haley, and Evan. So last year, when Phoebe Grace was born, last summer, uh, they, we ended up being in the hospital for longer than we thought we were going to. They just mowed the lawn. They just took care of it. So I would come home in between uh, being in the city at uh, Children's Hospital, and lawn would just always be mowed. And when we came home after that, John actually came to my door and he said, you know, I remember what it's like having little kids and having a baby in the house. It's pretty all-consuming. We'll just mow your lawn for the rest of the summer. Just till it snows, we'll just take care of it. Don't worry about it. Oh, that's a blessing, hey? That was a huge blessing. So that's, that was amazing. He's always around. If I need something heavy moved, he's the guy that'll come over and help me move stuff. Uh, and anytime that there's some sort of technical proficiency that I don't understand about my house in Mitchell with its thousand different pumps in there, then either John or Ange uh, will come and help me understand. <laughs> so I, I don't get any of it, but Lord bless them, they help. Now, Fast forward to this summer, so last month, uh, we were on holidays out in Alberta, and uh, we had left on July the 3rd, July the 4th, we were going to my eldest nephew's wedding, and after that wedding, so this is day two of a 10-day vacation, that night I get a phone call from my renter, who lives in the basement, and says, there's sewage seeping into my apartment from your furnace room. I mean, that's bad news any day of the week, right? That's like, no one's feeling good about that ever. But now I'm two provinces away. What am I supposed to do? Right? So whatever, I called some emergency service people and what have you. And then as soon as I was done that, I started, I went to WestJet and I started looking at flights to figure out how I was going to get home. Thought Mary and the kids can continue on with the vacation, but I obviously need to get back and deal with this. I get a phone call from John. And he calls, and we're talking about the whole situation. And he kind of gets a, a bit of a sniff that I'm thinking about coming home. And he says, you're not planning on coming home, are you? Like, you should stay with your family for this vacation. I'll totally, like, I'll take care of this while you're gone. I, I said, what? Yeah, it's fine. Really, you can't do much anyways. Like, I'll, I'll help. <laughs> <laughs> you took that different than I meant it. <laughs> That was not the insert humor part. <laughs> oh, whatever. It's probably what he meant. <laughs> uh, so anyways, he said that. And uh, 
I said, you know, I'll just take care of it. Yeah, I'll take care of it until you can get home and I'll do what needs to be done. And so I said, John, like I feel really guilty about being out here while you're dealing with my sewage in my house. That's really nasty. Um, and he said, no, honestly, go just spend the time with your family. So I, the next day we're at the zoo and I'm texting back and forth with him while he's in my house dealing with my problem. And, but he said, no, you just stay. And, and he said to me, this is, this is what I know that you would do for me if, if the roles were reversed. All he did was the golden rule, yet it's so surprising to us, right? It is this standout, unbelievable thing, and it was, that he did. But he acted like a Christian. Does this jar us a little bit? He just acted like a Christian. He did unto others what, would he, what he would have them do unto him. Now, was it convenient for John? Was it fun for him to be waiting around in the Yoder's sewage? <laughs> I'm telling you, it wasn't. <laughs> All right, it, it wasn't fun, it wasn't convenient for him, but he did it out of love. I'm telling you, I, I never want to move because these are my neighbors, <laughs> right? They treat us like family and they do it out of love. It's incredible. This is sacrificial love through service. When you're ready to wade into someone else's sewage because they can't solve the issue alone. They're unable. They lack the resources. They actually need to rely on you because you do have the resources. Please don't turn them down. This is not the opportunity. Okay, just I, I, I want to say something about boundaries. Okay? Because sometimes I hear people using the boundary lingo and what actually they mean is selfishness and not being Christ-like, okay? Boundaries fit in the application that I talked about, uh, whatever, a year ago, and, you know, read the book and figure it out, but, and, and receive counsel, but this is not an application of boundaries. This is an application of be Christian, okay? John was Christian. He and his family were Christian in the way that they behaved towards us. And it blessed our socks off. It was amazing. Amazing. This is brotherly love. All right, back to Romans 12. I want to look at one last verse here. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is empathy. You don't actually have to solve people's problems. Okay, part, of, part of the reason I think that we disengage or end up seeming uncaring, is we're really uncomfortable around big emotions. We don't know what to do when people are really angry or when they're really sad or when they're grieving. We don't know what to do, so we do nothing. We withdraw, we pull back, and so we end up looking uncaring. Why? Because it was an uncaring thing to do, <laughs> right? So that's, that's, and it's not what we need to do. We don't need to fix what's going on. We actually just need to feel with them. That's what this passage is saying. It's not actually advice when you're in a traumatic, difficult situation. It's not advice that actually makes you feel better. You don't need tips at that point. What you need is someone's presence. You need love. That's what you need when you're going through something really challenging. We've got to be available to rejoice with others when they rejoice 
and to weep with them when they weep. My mom passed away five years ago now. And uh, I remember being out in Alberta for the funeral and there was tons of flowers that had been sent. My mom was uh, just a beautiful person, very loved and well-known in our community. And so all these flowers, and so I was going and I was reading all the little, you know, the little cards that get sent with flowers and going through and reading them all. And I got to one and I was blown away. It was, it was from my cell here at the church. And I, I was leading, co-leading worship cell with Dana Lowen at that time. And they had pooled together their money and they had found a way to get flowers out to where I was. And it was deeply meaningful to me. Actually, as I was prepping the message, I, I choked up about it in my office because it was so profoundly meaningful to me. Well, why was it so deeply meaningful? Because I thought that I was kind of, you know, out of sight, out of mind. I knew that they knew where I was and that they cared about me and loved me. But I was 17 hours away, you know, gone for a while. And to think that I had been on their heart and on their mind when I was completely invisible from the physical landscape and that they managed to figure out a way. I'm telling you, like the community I grew up in is in the bush, okay? <laughs> so the fact that they had figured out a way to get flowers out there to my mom's funeral to bless me spoke volumes. It deeply impacted me and was incredibly meaningful to me. Their effort showed love and it revealed to me that they were grieving with me. Now, I want to give a, a caution right now for those of you that have task-oriented personalities, all right? And those of you that are in that category and work together with me at all, you know that I, I, I love you. I love working together with task-oriented personalities because I can be very people-y and kind of a disaster at times. And so uh, I need some of that structure. It's really helpful. Um, but a caution for you. At the end of your life, you will not be rewarded in heaven for the degree of organization that you kept or how quickly or succinctly you were able to make a decision. You will be rewarded based on love. You'll be rewarded based on how you obeyed the first two commandments, the way that you loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the way that you loved your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're going to be evaluated on. And it's easy to say, this is just how I'm made. It's my personality. And then some people get sort of run over in the process. It's just not acceptable. It's just not okay. We actually are called to love regardless of our personality. There's no disc profile outlined in the scriptures. All right. We're actually called to love, period. So it's a caution. We all need to work on it, but it's easy, and sometimes I fall into it just like anybody else does, where we focus on the task and we forget the people, and we just mustn't. We have to actually love. We must become available. We don't want to miss opportunities. Uh, and the reality is, it, it's going to be ill-timed, right? If we, want, if we want to be a people that are available to mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice, it's not going to be convenient. You can't like, just, just carve out a piece of your schedule on Tuesday afternoons from 2 to 4 uh, just in case someone's loved one dies or their spouse leaves them or they have a child that's suddenly hospitalized. You know, like, <laughs> it just happens when it happens. 
it will be inconvenient. And so we need to sort of ready ourselves for that and become more available within our lives when people hit these walls, when people hit these crises. This is, that's when it matters. You know, you know, and those of you that have gone through a crisis, some of the most deeply meaningful experiences that you've had are because someone did something that was outside of what was normal. You know, I'll be there when it's convenient. No, don't wait for when it's convenient. Go now. Okay, this is how we love. This is how we must make ourselves available to rejoice with others when they rejoice and weep with them when they weep. So I want to end things off with an encouragement and a warning, and then I'll give you a weekly challenge. So the encouragement first. Jesus said that the world would actually be able to identify our allegiance to him by the way that we love our brothers and sisters. Did you know that? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by the way that we love each other, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is actually some of the best evangelism that we can do. Isn't that wild? Some of the best evangelism that we can do to love each other within the family of God. Jesus says that if we nail this love thing down with one another here in the church, people on the outside of the faith will take notice. You know why? Because it's not normal. It's not human nature. Human nature just cares about me. Human nature doesn't love when someone hurts or offends or annoys me. Their human nature withdraws. Human nature hates. So here's the warning. Beloved, let us love one another For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. I'm going to read it one more time for the ladies. I'm going to switch it around here. If anyone says, I love God, but hates her sister, she is a liar. For she who does not love her sister, whom she, can, who she has seen, cannot love God, whom she has not seen. This is a stern caution for us. I didn't say that. That's in here. If while I read that passage, you had someone come to mind, you have some work to do, do not dismiss it. Don't just brush it off, head to your vehicle, and turn on the radio, okay? That was the Lord bringing someone to mind and gently rebuking you. Don't dismiss it. Even if you think, no, I don't hate that person. Why'd they come to mind? Who do you think did that? Huh? That was the Holy Spirit gently rebuking you. The Bible says that if you just dismiss it and just move on, that your love for Jesus is actually to be questioned. Never forget, never forget, no matter what this person has done to you or to those that you love, you are no better. You too are a sinner saved by grace, dependent on resources from God and from others outside of yourself to complete yourself. Freely you have received, freely give. So here's your weekly challenge. If someone came to mind when I read that passage of scripture, or if someone comes to mind later, is there someone in the family of God that you hate? If so, then you've got to deal with it in your own heart. 
So go to after-service prayer. Humble yourself. I know some of you are thinking, oh, I don't want to go to house, then I'm going to have to tell them, and then they're going to, it's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not about humiliation, it's about humility. All right? This is what Christian people do. We humble ourselves that we may receive resources from others that we do not have within ourselves. If right now you have hate in your heart towards someone, if you could have fixed it, you would. So get help. All right? You're just not that good. Neither am I. We're in the same boat. It's good news. All right? But go, receive prayer at after-service prayer, and then take it to prayer yourself. Ask God for his heart for this person. Forgive them if they've wronged you. This is what our people do. And then pray the same blessing for them that you would wish for yourself. So that's, that's the first piece. And if someone came to mind there, then that's, that's your assignment for this week. If, if you're good on that side of things right now, then there's the part two, all right? Then pray and look for an opportunity to practically love someone from within your cell this week. Here are a few options of what that could look like. First of all, create belonging. So maybe, you know, you do the campfire thing and share your testimonies, like, like your real testimony, not the sanitized one that you give in large groups of people so you can keep hiding. Okay, like, so don't invite a big group of people. <laughs> invite one couple or one other person, two other people that you really want to get to know, you want to grow in this love thing with, and do a campfire, do dinner, something like that, and actually share your honest, true blue testimony of what Jesus has done in your life, what he's really set you free from, all right? Could be something like sacrificial giving. Identify a resource that you have that someone in your cell currently needs and give it to them be it out of abundance or out of sacrifice, just give it to them. Or thirdly, become available. If you know someone within your cell that has just had a huge win or a huge loss, then get together with them and feel it with them and take food. Always take food. It's always a good plan. <laughs> All right, but just get together and feel with them. Don't come like, if there's someone where you're like, oh, they just went through this or they're going through this right now, I don't even know what to say. Perfect. That is exactly the sign that you should go. If you feel completely out of sorts, like you don't know what to say, that is the Holy Spirit cueing you that there's probably a lot of other people feeling like that that also aren't going. So go and just sit there. And you can even say that. I don't even know what to say to you. I, I can't imagine what you're going through right now. I'm so sorry. That's... That's awesome stuff. Do that, all right? So one of those three things. And then uh, lastly, if you're not in a cell, you can take out your phone right now and start an email to me at rayy@myselfland.com so I can get you plugged in for the fall. And I'm going to say something briefly here so you can actually complete an entire email and send it by the time I'm done, all right? There you go. Email address is up there. Uh, some of you, you're, many of you, you're already in cells, and you're saying in your head, I haven't experienced what you're talking about in my cell. That, that kind of love that you're talking about, uh, that, that isn't flowing freely in our cell. And I get that. I understand. And it's because you're in it. <laughs> and it's because I'm in it. And it's because we're all just growing. This, this love piece here that I'm talking about, this is something that as a church we need to grow in. There are some pockets and some cells within our church that are doing this really well right now, and I see incredible belonging and acceptance and love, and some groups where it's not. But we need to grow in it. And how about this? How about you start? Stop waiting for someone else to start. You start with the loving. And I'll tell you where you can start. 
Start with your cell leader. If you're feeling heavy with something in your cell about how it's not going as you wish it was going, I can tell you, your cell leader is carrying the weight of that because they're the leader. I meet with them, I know. Okay, they, they feel the weight of that. So why don't you love them? Why don't you bless them? Do something for them this week and encourage them, love them. And then you go ahead and when cell stops up, help me now. When cell starts up, there we go, in the fall, then you begin to practice this kind of loving. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you that you are so loving towards us. And I thank you. (laughs) I just thank you for your design. I thank you that you didn't, you, you in fact structured all of creation so that we wouldn't be independent, but that we would be completely dependent, 100% dependent on you and on others, on our brothers and sisters in Christ to actually complete us. I thank you that you have made us deficient. We're incomplete. Jesus, help us as a church to grow in this area of love. I pray that we as, as leadership would hear stories throughout the next months, throughout this next year, of ways that people are going above and beyond, where people are acting abnormal in such a way that the community around them is noticing, where we as brothers and sisters are loving each other in such a way that the world begins to really take notice. Help us to grow in love, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.